Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, you are listening to Freight 360. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back for episode 74 of Freight 360. Ben, we, uh, we started off a, a hell of a year here with 2021, and we thought we would flip the page of the calendar and it would all be great, but it's not. It's still, uh, we're still feeling a, a, lot of, a lot of craziness. So here we are in February, and um, a lot of snow up here in, in Buffalo. How's Florida? It's actually pretty cold. I mean, it was in the high 40s this morning, which is very cold, actually, for us. Um, nice. 46, 47. So awesome. we'll tough it out. Well, at least at least you kind of know what my life is like a little bit. Although it's uh, it's like twenty eight degrees, which is actually kind of warm for us because you know, the ice skating rink you put in your backyard was noteworthy. One oh of the yeah, things that I've seen in a long time. Absolutely. So if you are first time listener, thanks for joining us. If you've been with us for a while, welcome back to Freight Three Sixty. Make sure to share us with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. And maybe someone you know that uh, may have freight brokered in their future. Tell them to check us out. We've got a lot of people reaching out to us lately, asking us questions, thanking us for all the good content we're putting out. A lot of good stuff coming. Leave us that review. Helps us rank higher on iTunes and all the other platforms. So um, as you guys know, we've got a great sponsorship with DAT. Make sure to check out all of DAT's great products. Like I've said in the past, I'm a, personally a huge fan of DAT Power. It's a great load board for brokers and for carriers as well. You get a free month for using the link in our show notes. So make sure to check that out and get your free month. And one of the big benefits of us partnering with DAT is being able to have some of their personalities join us on the show. So today we have Mr. Dean Croak, the principal analyst of DAT Freight and Analytics. Dean, welcome to the show. Great. Great to be here. So, Dean, where you, I, I should ask you, where where are you physically located? I didn't even um, ask Boston, that question. Yeah, I'm in Boston, Massachusetts. I'm up on the North Shore out on Cape Ann. So, uh, uh, we, we just got all it. wind and rain, no snow in this nor'easter. So, I, I wish I would have known that before we started recording. I would have had, I would have planned out some better conversations. I, I personally, I love Boston. Um, right. I'm a huge Red Sox fan. Right. I know this is just an audio show, but on my camera, I've, back when Craig Kimbrell was the closer before he got oh, yeah. traded away. Awesome. Got my, got my little bobblehead there. Um, <laughs> hoping for a good year. They were saying Jackie Bradley Jr. might not be making the team this year based off of uh, luxury tax and whatnot. No clue. Um, we'll get into sports in a second. But anyway, Dean, you're the principal analyst at DAT. So what does that mean? Tell us a little about, about what you do. And, um, you know, we're, we're honored to have you either way, but give us Thank a little you. bit of a rundown. Yeah, I, uh, I've been at DAT just under a year. Um, I spend most of my day looking at demand uh, for truckload. So, you know, in the trucking business, trucking doesn't create demand for what they haul. It's created by what you buy and what a manufacturer builds. So in the middle of that is freight. And um, so what I, look, I like to understand what's driving demand, whether it be the number of containers coming out of Shanghai into Long Beach uh, the amount of volume moving on rail, the number of you know, the amount of avocados coming across the border in Nogales, Arizona, or how many flowers are coming into Miami this week. Uh, so I look at all the volume because if you understand the volume of what trucks haul, like the demand for things that you and I buy, you can get a feel for where rates are going. So I spend most of my time analysing freight markets for all modes and then looking at the commodities they haul and then we uh, spend a bunch of the week crunching data 
doing analysis, building charts and graphs, and uh, and and working on shows like this, so that our you know the drivers out there that sitting and listening to podcasts or brokers can get a little bit more context around why rates are the way they are. Yeah, and I think that's a, and we'll get, we're definitely going to dig into that on this episode. The 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 thing that I've often been asked by people is why? Why does this happen? They see it, and I love it too how you took that like 40,000 foot view. It's not just, Hey, what, what's the rate right now? You, you zoom out and you zoom out and you zoom out and you see it's what's happening in Shanghai in the Gallus. And yeah. you know, it's, it's that bigger picture. So, and we're yeah. going to, we're going to talk all about 2021 and what we've seen thus far and what we can expect in the, the near term and then the, the mid and long range future as well. So, um, but first let's get a little, little sports rundown. So Ben, your, your state, I was going to say your home state, but your home state's actually, uh, Pennsylvania. So um, your current home state of Florida gets the host, I think as they call um, on the broadcast or on, you know, other channels, the big game, because they can't legally say Super Bowl, but we're going to say the Super Bowl, right? Isn't that a thing? They can't say the term Super Bowl yeah. unless they're like licensed to do it. <laughs> I heard that. They call it the big game. Um, maybe that's just on like TV and stuff like sitcoms, but anyway, Super Bowl Sunday coming up here yep. in, uh, in Tampa across the, across the peninsula from you, Ben. Um, so we've got Tom Brady and, and his new bucks against Mahomes and his chiefs that just took down my bills in the AFC championship. But I have to correct myself. The last episode, I said it was a bills first AFC championship. I meant to say since back in, uh, you know, early the early nineties when they were on a roll. Yeah. So correction. There. Is this ben, the what do you- a home team? Like a, the Super Bowl is being hosted by a first team time, first playing. time ever. First, first time in history, a yeah. Super Bowl has ever been played at home by somebody. So, uh, Ben, what's your prediction? Who's who's taking the win? I I like Kansas City. Uh, Dean, you already said you're from Boston, so we know yeah. where this is going. I'm riding the goat all the way home. Yeah, so I think uh, I'm a big. Tom Brady fan. I've one of the highlights of living here in the New England has been watching uh, Tom Brady. I've just uh, I'm kind of in awe of how how good he is in the clutch moments. Um, it's just devastating to see him not here. But uh, so yeah, I'm a Brady fan. I'm I'm rooting for him this time. Yeah. So I uh, historically being a Bills fan for almost you know two decades playing against him in the AFC East. I had never been a huge Brady fan, but I also wasn't that Bills fan that hated Tom Brady. Um, I, I've always respected the talent of very, very good athletes. Like being a Red Sox fan, I've never hated the Yankees, but I also am not from Boston, so maybe you and I disagree there. But I can always respect good athletes overall. Yeah. Um, so I respect Tom Brady's talent, and I think he's going to take a seventh Super Bowl ring on this one. He's going to run out of, out of fingers to wear him on by the time he's done playing. <laughs> great he might have to get a toe ring. But uh, yeah, that's, I think it's going to be a good, exciting game. Um, last year's Super Bowl obviously was a, a strong lead by the 49ers and the Chiefs came back and just really played strong in the second half yep. for the win. Um, I think you're going to see just a strong battle back and forth on offense the right. entire game. Right. I'm just looking forward to a good game and some good commercials to watch. Right. So, yeah, good Same stuff. Here. Yeah, other uh, other news in NFL. Uh, did you guys see the trade, the the Rams and um, Detroit? They, it was uh, Matt Stafford and Jared Goff. Big blockbuster trade, swapping quarterbacks. That just happened like a couple days ago. <laughs> so yeah, and actually, Goff said there was only one team. Was it Goff that said that? One of them said there was only one team they didn't want to be traded to, and it was uh, 
It was New England. Uh, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know who you guys are going to have next year. Yeah, I don't know. Fans here are brutal. The press is, you know, the media gives them a really hard time here. It's, I've not, not seen uh, any market like it. So I could understand yep. there's reticence to move here. Plus it's yeah. cold in the winter. For sure. Um, elsewhere, hockey, there's a – my Buffalo Sabres got shut down until next Monday. There was a couple of players mm-hmm. that tested positive after, like, New Jersey Devils or whoever it was had like a million players right. on the, on the, on the COVID right. protocol. So yeah. yeah, that's hockey for you. But uh, anyway, good stuff. Um, 2021 is going to be an interesting year for, for sports, you know, trying to rebound from last year, but mm-hmm. so, so it's, it also will in the freight world. So Dean, that's how we got you here. Yep. Um, so I want to, before we kind of get your take, Ben, I want to, I want to kind of ask you, with coaching, have you seen anything with any of your clients as to what their take is on how this year has been so far? Have you seen anything crazily, like really drastically different from last year? What What have you heard? No, I mean, some of the, some of them shipping a lot of the, um, I can't remember what the classification was. What was the classification for some of the, like the protected goods or some of the things essential, like, uh, yeah, the essential PPE. goods. Essential goods. Yeah, some of that had slowed down temporarily, like at the end of the year, and they're waiting to see where orders are going to fall. I think what it seemed like was a lot from the distribution side or the manufacturing side, they were looking where they were going to source them from. Um, I don't know if it was an oversupply or what that was. There was a bit of a pause and they're still working through it in some of them. Some of the clients I have that have big contracts are like, hey, they're going to wait till early February to see what the demand looks like. So it wasn't a stop in any way, but there was some pause there. And I mean, the other big thing was just delayed RFPs with um, a lot of the people we coach just push back yeah. or smaller ones. I mean, those are the biggest mm. things that we've seen into the beginning of the year. So right. I will tell you from the, from the agent standpoint, a lot of the agents that, that I work with, they have, uh, I got a few that work with trade shows and they're seeing an increase in their volume because they're, you know, they, essentially the second half of 2020, they weren't moving any, any freight for trade shows. A lot mm-hmm. of stuff was canceled. We're starting to see a lot more in-person or even hybrid trade shows or, or larger gatherings happening. So they've seen an increase, um, slight, not, nothing too crazy, but what we kind of, we said this last year that freight will probably uptick more in our opinion as the economy were as it reopens and more things start to happen. So um, that's, you know, that Ben and I, that's what we see from, you know, from our perspective, but we're, you know, I work with freight agents, Ben coaches, brokers, agents, and W2 employees for his, you know, for his day job. So Dean, you're a analytics and numbers guy. Um, What have, I guess, what have you seen the first five, six weeks of this year, as far as the, change in volumes and you know what does that look like from your perspective yeah um notwithstanding last week which was end of month and you know people getting a lot of freight off docks before the winter storm hit the east coast and clogged up the i-95 network um volumes were sliding you know they this is typically a quiet time of the year so volumes do decrease in january typically so do spot rates but the difference this year is they're coming off such a high peak so, you know, year-over-year year numbers are quite staggering. And, you know, the best, the best way I could describe, you know, one of the most questions we get is, what's this year look like? Well, I, I think the first six months of this year looks a lot like the last six months of last year, right? We're still deep in the pandemic. Um, we've still got, you know, we've still got restrictions at a county, city, state level. 
It's yep. almost like we've had this rolling pandemic across the country that some areas are opening up, some are shutting down. Um, shippers in particular are having a really hard time uh, staffing their supply chains and their manufacturing lines. They've got to space people out further. So that slows down how much output they've got. You've got um, global supplies of uh, semiconductors. You've got, you know, you know, boating companies in Tennessee can't get enough parts for uh, outboard motors and windshields, despite having record sales last year. So even though they can build more boats, they can't get the parts. Um, you know, supply, so supply chains, um, you know, one manufacturer we spoke to recently um, had, to buy, uh, had to buy three years worth of bottle, plastic bottle caps for detergent because their manufacturer couldn't supply them quick enough. So they had to buy like all this inventory in advance and tie up all this capital. So long story short, what we're seeing is a lot more um, imbalance in the market. So what that yeah. means is that as you and I sort of buy more things at home and we don't travel and we don't go to the supermarket as much, we're buying more things online and that's changing the way freight moves. And the best example I can give you is based on all the import data for December that we looked at. And there was, there was four things I looked at to, that really highlight how freight has been completely turned on its head. Some commodities are up, some are down. Like so, you know, essential retailers have been doing exceptionally well. Non-essential retailers, their volumes are down year over year. You know, manufacturing, industrial manufacturing is down. As, um, you know, building sites and construction sites get COVID infections, they close down. So you've got less flatbed work, less machinery works, all those things. So the four data points that I found fascinating. Um, so these are the number of 20-foot containers that came into the United States in December. So bicycles and associated parts were up 70% year over year. Yeah. Curtains and linen were up 32% year over year. Apparel, clothes, was only up 1% year over year because we're not buying things because we're not travelling and we're wearing sweats at home. The flip side, footwear was down 24% year over year and tyres for cars were down 21% year over year. So right there. I, 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 hold on. We got to have an analysis on Because there. just because of that, right, we talk about this a lot, that you can see some of these trends in your day-to-day -day just walking around, right? First one, bicycles. I'm in South Florida. You cannot get an appointment to have a bike looked at. The wait list is now something like two months. Normally, it's non-existent. There's probably 15 bike shops, but yep. that's how many people. Yep. And you got the Peloton and all that. But yep. if you go to the clothing stores, right, you go to the mall or just take a look. I can buy a blazer right now on sale for a hundred bucks. That is usually 700 because yeah. people aren't going outside. Right. Yeah. These are right. things that are super obvious, but right. we, we've got an analyst right here that is showing why these things are true. And these right. absolutely affect what you're able to charge or not charge, how yeah. tight it is and how many issues maybe your prospect could be having. Yeah. And I think the Ben, the, just the, the basic understanding of the concept of supply and demand is from even just a consumer standpoint is going to directly correlate to transportation and really any industry. But you mentioned a bike, like for us here in the Northeast, no one's really buying bikes right now. Right. Yeah. They're buying Pelotons, but in the summer and the fall last year, you couldn't get a bike right. and they're just now starting to get your basic bikes right. in like Target and Walmart. But like your, your, your advanced bike shops that are specialized in them that are selling these two, three, four, five thousand $5,000 bicycles, or, you know, whether they're racing bikes or off-roading or whatever, right. um, they're just now starting to get parts in stock. 
right. because it was just in such high demand and they were charging whatever they wanted. Nothing was on sale, no promos because they didn't need to do that. Right. Um, and then you mentioned clothing. Yeah, no right. one's traveling. So it's like whenever I go on vacation, I usually hit up the store, my wife and I, and we'll go buy a couple outfits or maybe some new swim trunks and bathing suits before yep. a trip, but no one's really traveling. So that's supply and demand and that stuff's readily available. Kohl's is fully stocked and right. everything's on sale. I mean, it kind of always is at Kohl's, yep. but um, you know, it's, it's just wild to see that. So um, footwear, that one kind of. Yeah. Well, the other thing that's fascinated me is the uh, new home buyer market. So when I look at, you know, if, so I look at macroeconomic data. So about 53% of all new homes get built in the southeast, right? It's also where they have a lot of hurricanes and, and damage. So I look at those indicators and say, well, okay, how many new homes are being built? Well, each new home takes about five flatbed loads, right? So when I look at the number of new homes being built, I get a sense of demand for flatbeds and why rates have been trading at about 225 a mile for four months. They haven't moved. They've been okay. flat for that. Normally they go up and down based on temperature and weather and seasonality. Well, when you look at the data, new home sales are up 30% year over year in December. So wow. we've got low, low mortgage rates, so low yep. interest rates. Urban flight is a real thing. People and low inventory. Moving, right? moving people, yeah. So people are moving out of the cities to homes, new homes that are built for you and I to do what we're doing today. They Working are tech-enabled tech homes where you can school, exercise, educate at home. So it's driven this amazing transformation in demand. That's why lumber prices are at record levels. There's a global shortage of lumber. Uh, flatbed rates are really high for anything to do with that. So it's, a, it's just another one of those sort of uh, splits in the market that we see that have driven some commodities up while others have sort of fallen away. Yeah, and I think the... So that's an interesting stat. Five flatbeds for a new for a new build on average, and that's a great indicator to look at. That's that's yeah. cool. So, yeah. and I've, I think Ben, I've talked to you about this. I've been in the process of looking for a new house for like the last five six months, right. Right. and it is just it is yeah. unbelievable. The, the no even just for for uh, buying someone else's house, right? Buying an existing house. Right. They're just so inflated in price right now because in here in Western New York, we're getting a flood of people that have left New York City. Right. And they're, you know, they had those post-college jobs in the city. And now they're like, oh, I can work from home, go back to my family. Right. They're coming back to the smaller cities in the the um, suburban settings. Right. And we've seen, it's almost like it's a third higher for cost right now. And I remember like when I bought my first house, it was like, you know, a starter house. It just needed to have the basics for me. And I know a yard and a bedroom and a kitchen and maybe a little spot to have a home office. And now it's like, got to have a home office. Right. It's got to have, you know, the right floor plan because we're spending so much time at home. It's It's got to have room for an exercise area because it's all this stuff that has changed the way that we, we you know, we live. So yep. that's- We sold, that is, we sold our house last November at the right time in the market in the, from a valuation. We sold it in six hours. Wow. That's right. crazy. So people were lining up. They made a mistake in the listing and it was supposed to be brokers only, but somehow they made it open house in the very first listing. And we had a driveway full of people wanting to buy the house. <laughs> and and it was like on three acres in the, you know, kind of middle, you know, west, western part of Massachusetts. And we were really surprised at how much demand there was for homes that um, are out of the way, not near a commuter line. And that also is now why used cars are at, at record levels and use car prices because people now realize when they move out, 
they've got to drive somewhere when they want to go yep. out now. So it's one of the one of the um, sort of markets that's done well is used cars have started to increase in price. So you talk to oh. auto haulers that you know haul cars, they can't keep get enough trucks and drivers to move the volume. That's interesting. So what's the other side of this coin, right? So we've talked about all the peaks, right? The things that people are buying, the things that that there's large demand for, right? What is the other side of that coin? Because, I mean, I do want want us to get into what we're seeing with, you know, the falling spot market. Where are the the commodities that aren't shipping? Because you and I talked about this off air, like the manufacturing, a lot of these big drivers of the economic activity are down. Yeah. What are those and what does that mean to people that are trying to understand supply and demand? The big I mean the big one I look at it's got it's it's directly relation to the conversation we started with about you know going to what's the Red Sox. So think about you know once the pandemic is over and we start to get back to normal then presumably we'll go out and socialize more albeit with sort of some of the the safety precautions in place. Um, what I look at you know is the refrigerated market is a good example to answer your question Ben. I look at um, USDA data of the number of truckloads of produce that move every week across the Canadian border, which is mostly potatoes out of PEI now, or across the southern border, which is a lot of tomatoes, avocados, limes, things like that. Because we've had the pandemic close down something like 110,000 restaurants, according to the National Retail Federation, um, truckload volumes of produce last week were down 30%. Wow. So now, now what does 30% mean? It's it's 8,200 fewer 53-foot vans of produce. That's just domestically. So about wow. half the other volume comes across the borders. And that's the, uh, so because it's winter here, a lot of our produce comes from South America and Mexico right now. Um, and that'll swing back to in summer, we get a lot more volume from farms like, you know, in Fresno and up in, in Twin Falls, Idaho, those sort of places. So I look at I look at volumes of truckload produce because that tells me about where spot rates are going and contract rates for refrigerated volumes because the you know the offset to lower produce volumes has been, and it's not enough though to, to keep demand up, but you and I are buying more frozen goods in the freezer aisle mm-hmm. because yeah. so, so, so if you look at the, the data there, it shows that that volume of frozen food sales in supermarkets is up something like 13% year over year. Why? Well, we want to make fewer trips to the supermarket. And we want to have foods that have a longer shelf life and pack and store better. So, mm-hmm. so, so there's sort of ups and downs, but produce is the big one because, and, and it's a really important one because it leads to the food services industry, restaurants, cafeterias, universities, um, catering businesses. My wife's catering business. Normally this would be the busy time of the year. They haven't got a booking until May. Wow. Not one booking. And, and uh, you know, a 200-person wedding they might do is five people in a room at home. Yep. You know, yep. like so So everybody, everybody in that, it's not just produce, but produce leads to restaurants and cafeterias at colleges and universities and, and, and so much employment and business activity. Um, that, to me, is where we'll start to see, I think, some of the biggest increases when we start to open up again. There'll be a lot more spending on services, like, you know, we, we talked about buying things. So think about, look around your room, how many more TVs, computers, chairs, monitors can you buy? 
now that we've already set up for working at home. So, <laughs> yeah. so we talked about that yeah. too, because there were a yeah. lot of other things in that category, right? We, right? You and I, and I think Ken were all on, on having a conversation about like, you know, yeah. that was what a lot of happened in, two, in 2020, right? People bought more stuff for their homes, Home right. Depot, stock, everybody saw it, right? They're right. redoing rooms, they're buying, they're re but once yeah. that's done, right. like you can only renovate your house so much, like right. you said, you yep. can only use so many monitors. You can yep. only buy so many microphones, cameras, and everything that we've needed for our home office. Yep. If that demand yep. doesn't continue before the yep. service demand picks up, right. Right. you've got a big dip in yep. there. Yeah. And is that what we're right. seeing right now? Is that? Well, we are. We are on the import side, Ben. We're seeing um, the tail end of that massive surge of imports coming in from Asia uh, because Chinese New Year is next week. Yep. And this is a pretty big deal. It's the largest migration of the human population on the planet. So did they stop that, by the way? I just read something and I didn't get a chance to get too deep into it, but didn't they delay or blank some sailings because of the congestion into the West Coast recently? Oh, yeah, yeah. They've been blanking sailings for seven or eight months. Um, so there's congestion at the West Coast ports. COVID yep. has really impacted the way they unload vessels and process uh, drivers, et cetera. So there's a lot of backlog. That's caused... A shortage of vessels on the other end in the on the other end of the Trans-Pacific, mm -hmm. so they they can't. Yeah, get if they're ship. offshore, not unloading here, they're also not there being reloaded or traveling back to be reloaded. So that's why you've had a, a real serious shortage of empty containers back in Asia, mm. yep. right okay. to load. Um, so what you're seeing though is Chinese New Year is about a billion people celebrate the you know, the end of the cold months. That's what the Lunar New Year is, but it, it, it represents a three week shutdown in the whole manufacturing process in mostly China and some other countries. So because it's a it's a week at home, it's like Thanksgiving where everyone goes home to have, you know, the New Year dinner. And because mm -hmm. most elderly people live in rural communities, young people that work in cities travel home to celebrate with their families. So it's a week either side of the week celebration. Mm -hmm. So this week they're traveling home. They'll be at home next week for celebration and then a week to come back. So the whole manufacturing process shuts down for a week. Why is that? Uh, sorry, for three weeks. So that's wow. a big deal because um, in November, sorry, in December, about 87% of all of our containers came from Asia. So, so to get to the answer to your question, Ben, all of that volume that normally will come in for spring that goes yep. into the hardware stores, right? All that spring retail volume has mm -hmm. been put on fast forward to come in before the shutdown next week. So you're seeing this bubble of freight come into the Western East Coasts that represent inventory that shippers typically build for spring and summer. Why? Because they had such inventory failures last spring when you and I were all stocking our pantries and, and panic buying. Mm. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So it was almost like a little bit of a lesson learned yeah. applied yeah. this year. Well, so so the whole just in time supply chain method yep. is now just in case. Right? So <laughs> yeah. instead of JIT, it's JIC. They're building it. inventories, they're building yeah. redundancy, they're building more locations. So they're not dependent on one particular part of their supply chain. They're building in redundancy they so they don't experience what they had so last year. I would be willing to bet that warehouses are probably loving it though, because they're, they're filling up yep. and yeah, they're, they're filling their shelves and all that yep. stuff. But so you can't, the, the same people are competing for the same warehouses close to where you and I live. Yep. So they can't mm -hmm. build warehouses quick enough to get, get this final mile delivery piece in place so that when you and I order something online now, it's here the next day. Yep. Yeah. 
Wow. That's crazy. And even like, I just, I always like to look at the Amazon uh, example. So in Western New York, we've got a humongous Amazon um, distribution center in just the Northern part of Buffalo. And they yep. just announced two weeks ago, they're putting a, another one in the Southern part, the South, the South towns of Buffalo now. So uh, Buffalo's metro area with, I think over eight counties has wow. about a million ish people. And we've got two big, Amazon facilities alone, they're going to service that area. So that just goes to show you the the power of, of warehousing and the demand that when, Hey, if I want it the next day, yeah, that's that warehouse space is, uh, right. it, it comes so, so that's interesting because I've been watching the Buffalo freight market and watching freight volumes skyrocket in recent weeks. And I couldn't figure out why, because it wasn't import volume. So I bet it's e-commerce related because yep. spot rates are really high there at the moment because I suspect weather is playing a role in getting trucks into that market, um, especially yeah. running to Chicago because the busiest lane out of Buffalo is to Chicago around the Great Lakes, Yep, which would be tough sledding in snow, I'd imagine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. Well, we've got probably another – usually the, the, the weather here – just as an average person driving on the road, you get a little nervous when you see the tractor trailers, um, you know, because people are just afraid, you know, and they'll put their restrictions on. You can't drive empty. You can't drive bobtail. You know, they'll have and they'll shut stuff down. And usually you can expect that um, the whole about the whole month of January, maybe oh, really? late December. And then about midway through February, we usually hope, depending on what Punxsutawney Phil tells us, <laughs> if it's going to be six more weeks of winter or not. Um, but it, it sounds like we've got about another two to three weeks of, of that winter weather to affect right. us in this area right. before the light at the end of the tunnel is there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let me ask you this, Dean. So, I mean, what are your thoughts? I read what, um, you know, Ken had put out this week and a lot of the stuff you had shared on LinkedIn in regards to, you know, the f- spot rates are absolutely falling out of the West Coast, right? Which is interesting because I, I wanted first to ask you if there's this just in case of, mm-hmm. you know, expediting the inventory stock up so that they don't end up with bare shelves. Wouldn't that inflate spot rates out of the West Coast or is the congestion preventing well- that? So, so it's fascinating. Um, rates are actually plummeting off the West right. Coast. So, so it, it, um, volumes had been dropping off the West Coast for about six weeks, but I noticed today that 40-foot container prices out of Asia are flatlining at about 4,200 per 40-foot equivalent unit. Um, now, keep in mind they're around 1,400 for a long time in 2019 into 2020, and then they, they more than doubled in a period of weeks in October. And, but they flatline. So that tells me that demand out of Asia for import containers is slowing. But we've got this bubble they're trying to process right now with so many ships in port. But, um, you know, volumes were, were up as high. And I'll read some data to you because the volumes last week of load posts on our, on our load board in Ontario, where a lot of that warehouse freight comes from in Los Angeles, volumes were up 50% last week. So wow. you would think that if volumes were up that much, then spot market rates must have skyrocketed. Well, is that inbound dropped. or outbound volume? That's outbound. Outbound, okay. So, but so volumes were up fifty percent in in the spot market, but rates dropped seven cents a mile. So it tells you got to ask the question: Why? A lot of right? trucks. There's still a lot of trucks on the west coast because there's been a lot of capacity uh, there, right? Because carriers were were gravitating to there because you could get four bucks thirty a mile and run to run to Denver and back empty or run to Stockton and back empty, or run to Phoenix and back empty to fill these warehouses where there's a lot of e-commerce demand. That's mm-hmm. changing. Those rates are dropping and westbound rates are increasing. So if I look at um, out of, uh, in particular, 
you know, Los Angeles to Chicago, right? That's a really busy lane where a lot of intermodal freight runs and a lot of truckload uh, freight runs. Since November, it's down a buck seven a mile to a dollar eighty one. That's significant. Right? Wow. Um, so um, rates dropped. On the other big one was um, the other big mover was Chicago. Uh, Chicago, uh, let me quickly look here. Los Angeles to Atlanta is another big one. Um, so rates are, rates are dropping pretty dramatically out of Los Angeles. It just tells me that um, the volume's not there. Um, you know, I, I think the, the urgency and the surge volume that we were seeing before Christmas to get mm-hmm. things into warehouses for all the online ordering, that started to cool off. And, and just the, our latest data from our, on our contract volume side of our business from the uh, Chainalytics acquisition shows that con- total freight volumes, contract and spot, uh, on the dry van are only up 1% year over year as of January. Right. The volumes so, are pretty much the same, yeah, but a yeah. lot because when we talked about this too, what are the capacity of the trucks right, right. in the market? What happened in 2020? Do we have yeah. more trucks at the end of the year or less? Uh, so if I look at the mileage, I look at the Federal Highway uh, traffic counter mileage from the passive roadside counters that count mm-hmm. truck passes. Um, trucks are running seven percent more more miles last week compared to the same week last year. So they're they're doing more miles. Um, so I think they're busier. They're doing more miles. Uh, rates are certainly coming down. Um, what I think it is, though, Ben, it's not if because if, the question is why are spot rates so high if volume's relatively flat? Right. Well, it's got to do with when I started talking about, you know, urgency. boat manufacturers can't find parts for their outboard engines. The urgency. Um, it's the urgency. It's not about volume or capacity. It's about this load has to go now. So, yep. right. And for right there, and I want to, pause and talk about that for a minute because we talk about that a lot for freight brokers right is there are two things your shipper might have a lot of loads that need to go out or just have a lot of loads right but if their customer doesn't need them right they can wait for a lower price truck and ship on the volume that they want now if you've got an urgency issue where that shipper their customer needs it. So let's just say steel was one I used to ship and they needed to get the raw materials to the steel mill. Otherwise the steel mill shuts down. So very high cost if you don't get it there. Well, now you need volume, but you have urgency. So you're willing to pay more. The trucks can make more. So rates go up with urgency and the same volume. Yep. Yep. And you get this lane imbalance though, because that creates, I mean, every new warehouse creates a new origin destination pairing in the routing guide. So every time a new warehouse opens, you've got a new rate. Yeah. So it may not have been in last year's bid, so it's probably going to go to the spot market, right? Yeah. So you, I'm seeing that because you see a lot of new rate development and you see a lot of, um, you know, loads falling through the routing guide and then out into the spot market. So that tells me there's, there's loads going to areas where carriers haven't been before, which we know anecdotally from where warehouses are being built. Because you got more empty miles to come out more, of there. More empty miles. You got new lanes. Plus, if you compare that with the fact that even just your normal routing guides right. are less frequent because there's been such fluctuations in 2020 that when they get a new lane, they don't want the contract because they don't know if rates are going to stay there. So they'd rather just keep it variable. So those new right. warehouses went right to the spot market. Right. I think that's what happened. But then you also saw, like, as the pandemic um as the pandemic sort of grips an area, uh, production goes down, consumption goes up because we're not working, but we're consuming more at home, right? So, so 
that's sort of a generalization. But what happens is if I'm hauling, um, you know, a product into a market and I normally have good balance coming out and that's affected, I have lane imbalance and I have more empty miles to get into another market. And that's why large carriers haven't added a lot of capacity last year. They haven't, they haven't accepted a lot of that capacity because of the imbalance in their, their routing guides. They're constantly re-optimising their whole operation to try and be more profitable, to limit the exposure to the deadhead side. And yep. that's something we talk about. In fact, we just put that, I just worked on that for the course that we're putting together this week, was the fact that a lot of these smaller brokers and a lot of our listeners think that all of this business just goes to the big fleets. They right. think that they right. can't compete with the big names in the market. The reality is, is a lot of those fleets turn down this business. They right. don't want it. It's not profitable for them. Even these big fortune 100 and 500 companies, they want to use smaller brokerages because it doesn't make sense for the larger fleets right. to take on these lanes. Right. Well, they're rejecting about 22, 23% of contracted bids today wow. in the market. So it's still That's pretty high, high, right? Isn't it usually like on less than 10%? Usually, usually. And you know, part of the problem, it's legitimate this time now that they've got a driver shortage. It's hard to find drivers to seat trucks because of the drug clearinghouse is catching three quarters of drivers. They're not returning back to the industry. They're, they're not even seating uh, in a truck because they got caught. Um, and then you've got uh, just the issue of training schools. So think about large fleets and student training model, recruiting models. It's hard to get them through training schools that are either closed down or limiting their numbers. Mm. And then even when I get through the school and I've got to go to the Department of Transport to get my license, I've got to make an appointment or, or they've spacing out visits. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I, I have a CDL. I still own a Class 8 truck. I still drive on weekends. I just had to go for my DAT physical and I have to make an appointment. Uh, I had to make it eight weeks in advance for my DAT physical and, and just and then I had to sit in my car for most of that while they came out and saw me. And then we went inside. Like it was a whole three-hour process after multiple weeks of waiting. So you can you you compound that across the whole driver supply network and you suddenly see why it's hard to get drivers in trucks to meet the you know the demand. So large fleets haven't ramped up their capacity like they did in 2018. That's the mm -hmm. big difference. Well, that's gotcha. a big question, right? Are we going to see a repeat of, I guess, no. end of 18 yeah. after the ELDs? Like, we're going to see the rates fall out and businesses shutter? Right. Or do you think that glut between where we are and when the manufacturing and things pick up is going to be? The, yeah, I wrote about that this week. And you kind of think about the you know market equilibrium when supply and demand sort of intersect. And I think, I think that the big fleets are betting on putting in record numbers of truck orders, you know, which were, mm -hmm. I think they were down about 8,000 trucks for January, but December and November were like close to 50,000 new truck orders, record levels. Like, so, so the bet is that when this new capacity comes online mid summer, that demand is ramping up. And, yep. and I, I, I will look for cancellations of these orders as a sign that demand is not ramping up. Mm -hmm. So to the extent we get the virus under control and our numbers fall down and we open up and, and start to travel more, um, that has to line up with all this new capacity coming onto the market. And, uh, and, and it, remember, we just said that overall contract, overall freight volumes are up about 1%. So there's not a lot of volume in the market yet, but if we open up and we get manufacturing going and produce going, then, yeah, there'll be a demand for more capacity, but that's a risk. 
I wonder it. what that number actually looks like. Cause if we're 1% year over year volume, right. Increase yep. that's without some of the largest sections, right? If you factored those in, what would that, I mean, yep. I know you- that's what I was going to ask is, so let's fast forward six, nine months. Yeah. Yep. What does that look like? Right. Well, so um, we're not projecting, you know, we're projecting volumes to, I'll just look at some of our forecasts on that side now. We're looking for sometime in February and March volumes to peak. So, and, and the answer is, the longer term is, as the economy opens, we're going to spend more on services and less on goods. Mm-hmm. So, Q3, if you remember Q3's GDP numbers, it was about a 5% swing. So we spent 5% less on services, 5% more on physical goods, okay. which were things that trucks hauled. Mm-hmm. That could easily flip the other way in Q3 this year, which means, you know, my wife and I were talking about it this morning, as soon as I get my COVID passport, I'm off to watch the Tour de France. In a <laughs> right? So, so I, I love to travel, and but we haven't been, I go to Canada for vacation to go truck racing. I can't even take my truck across the border to go racing this year. So as soon as I can get through the pandemic, I'm going to spend a lot of money on traveling. And I think there's a lot of people like that, that yep. will spend more on services and less on office chairs, desks, floor mats, TVs, monitors. That's yeah. how I think it pans out. Now, mm. it's a great question. How much does manufacturing and production and steel and concrete, and if we get an infrastructure bill through, how many bridges do we repair? How many rest areas do we build? How many electric charging stations do we put around the country? But there's a there's a lot of things that look good on the back half of this year. That's why I think it looks really strong in the second half, and we'll see record levels for another reason, non-pandemic yeah. reasons. Yeah. And I think some of the stuff out of yeah. the administration, I had read they had put an order in. I don't know if that'll come to fruition for 300 million more doses. I mean, the other, I think it's the Johnson and Johnson vaccine may get approved. If those things do fall in perfect alignment, I mean, I think. Yeah. It's a good chance. It's a good chance it'll happen. You know, I I sort of, I watch the news a lot and I I hear about um, new, new variants of the virus that are 50% more transmissible and I think oh you know like here's another red flag like does it slow things down and then today we've got more news about how effective some of the newer vaccines are so I think we're making serious progress once we get more people vaccinated and people feel more comfortable traveling because we'll only shop where we feel safe yep right so so that's Mm -hmm. that's a big part of opening up schools restaurants, just traveling, airlines, getting pilots back to work, getting tankers hauling jet fuel to the airport, um, you know, having uh, food services trucks delivering to a, food, a restaurant on the I-80 at, a, at an interchange, you know, because there's a lot of businesses that rely on this economy moving because it's, I think we're about three quarters of our whole economy is based on you know, domestic consumption. And that's based on you and I moving around a lot. It's a great point. Yeah. Well, good stuff. I'm curious to see how this this pans out. We'll definitely have to do a uh, a later in the year, yeah. uh, I guess, like a you know a follow up and and nice. see, you know, where we right, where we wrong. Oh, yeah. Did something else crazy happen that no one yeah. saw coming? Who knows? We've never know. we've never seen anything like this. You know, I don't know of any other non pandemic year to compare to. Right. Like it's all it's all new. So uh, that's why the data is important. You know, our three day spot rates really tell you a lot about where demand is going and where trucks need to be. So um, that's the only thing that I think is sort of 
giving me confidence that there's, uh, you know, spot rates are dropped, but they're flatlining. Like, so they're not dropping below about two bucks five a mile, excluding fuel. So they were plummeting. Now they've stopped. So um, I think for carriers, things will look pretty good. Um, brokers, obviously, margin compression is an issue they're going to have to work through. Uh, spot rates, uh, so contract rates are rising. So that's the good news because I think a lot more carriers will gravitate towards higher contract rates and more consistent volume. So definitely a little bit of market shift there. It's more optimal for them. Which, yeah, yeah that, that's, that's it for sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, good stuff. Any, uh, any final thoughts on, on 2021, where we're at, where we're going from, uh, from either of you? Uh, heck, I, um, I just, I, I think we, as a country, we need to figure out how to get the vaccines out, used in arms, um, get our numbers down. We're trending in the right direction. So I, I haven't felt this optimistic for a long time. I think, I think we're on track, um, but it's going to take a Herculean effort. You know, the whole supply chain's done a wonderful job. You know, truckers, dock workers, forklift drivers, they've been amazing at getting vaccines out into the market. It's just this last little bit of getting it sort of from, you know, 10 feet away into an arm. That's the bit yeah. where we're having the most difficulty. So I, I was, uh, so I'm in the, as a lot of the listeners probably know, and Ben knows, I'm in the Army National Guard here in New York what? State. And I was, uh, I was able to get my first dose of the Pfizer vaccine last what? Friday. So I'm yep. about two weeks away from, uh, from my second dose. And they told me I'm, I'm 50% uh, immune at this point and I'll be 95 to 98%. And I, I just can't wait to travel because I'm, I'm trying to go visit, uh, go down to Columbia and visit our friends over at Lean, uh, Lean Staffing Solutions and Lean Solutions Group that right. Ben and I have recently partnered with. Um, these folks have done a gr- Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> Dean has a lean, you guys can't see it on camera. Lean ha- Dean has a lean staffing water bottle oh, wow. on his desk right now. So they, they recently changed their name to the Lean Solutions Group. Yeah. So um, Ben and I, we're, we're doing a new website right now. And we've, you know, we're, we hired Lean to do all the tech side of that and get that built out for us. They offer yeah. a lot of great offshore staffing opportunities for brokers right. and really anyone in the transportation market. So check them out at leanstaffing.com. That's and lean staffing. Com. And if you haven't seen anything they put out, they've got a Super Bowl mastermind out of Vegas this weekend. Um, a lot of big names are there. We weren't able to make it. We were invited, but we will absolutely be tuning in. So if you are catching this episode before Super Bowl weekend, be sure to check them out. They've got a lot of great stuff that they're going to be putting out over the weekend for it. And we're going to have Trey on uh, on an episode. Is it next week? Or next two? week. Next week. Yep. Yeah. So episode 75 is going to be with Trey. So let's get into the Q&A to wrap up this episode here. Dean, you don't feel obligated to hop in on any of these if you don't want to. I know you're an analytics guy. That's why we brought John as the subject matter expert when it comes to numbers right. and uh, projections. So Ben and I can, can happily take these. The first question, and these all came from Reddit, and I promise you it's not the Reddit uh, Wall Street Bets <laughs> subreddit. You know, we're not telling you to go buy GameStop or uh, AMC. <laughs> these came from the Freight Broker subreddit. So first question question is what commodities should I avoid when I'm a new broker? Um, and what's interesting is Dean actually just talked about different commodities and what affects their consumption and their demand. But Ben, what, what I typically see when someone's new is they go for the, it's typically lower margin, high volume. It's, it's easy to move stuff that's going to have less issues. And it's, it's not a bad way to learn. Like you're, you're talking steel, you're talking lumber, dry van, one pick, one drop fairly easy lanes. It's going to be a lower margin, but it's not a bad way to learn the industry and just kind of get a, a feel mm-hmm. for it. The Where I've seen people make mistakes is to hop into some of this 
um, complicated produce where they've got to have um, multiple picks, multiple drops. They've got temperature requirements and they've got to get certain, um, you know, the, whether it's a bag count or a scale ticket or you name it. So I say less complicated is probably what you should go for. And the more complicated is what you should avoid, but always learn from someone who is already succeeded at doing that commodity. Ben, what do you think? Same thing. And then you work your way up to it because some of those things, I mean, they are high risk for the broker, right? And, and even like steel, I mean, you don't want to be moving very, very low gauge steel coil that have that are super high value because if they aren't loaded right and you don't have good relationships with your carriers yet, that risk is going to fall on you. It's not just the hassle. It's the dollar cost. It's the likely ruined relationships with your customers that you've worked many, 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 many days and weeks to acquire. So yeah, it's it's getting the reps in, like you said, getting the reps into the, the freight that is fairly predictable, fairly consistent. And once you get more comfortable with your carrier base, then branch into some of the higher risk, higher value commodities. Yeah, don't I would say don't hop in head first and, and try to move some oversized or heavy haul equipment when you have no yeah. idea what a uh, double drop or an RGN is. So, so Nate, yeah. the other, I had a broker call me last week and asked the same question. And I said, look, I'm not, I'm not an expert on how to be a, you know, a successful broker, but I always read what my customers are reading. And, um, you know, and I said, I, I sort of have an adage that if you're doing the same thing as everybody else, you're probably doing the, the wrong thing. Because when everybody's in, in on something like buying shares or hauling the same type of freight or brokering the same type of freight, margins get, you know, pretty tight. And I said, read what shippers are struggling with. Like, so read where demand is headed, read what commodities are moving, what ones aren't. And that's a good way to find a niche. Absolutely. Love it. Um, and speaking of, you said, you know, not an expert on how to be a successful freight broker with DAT, Ben and I actually just had our article that we were um, the, I guess the- Or we authored. Yeah, yeah, the author, but they called it a, I forget. So we did, basically we did an interview and we worked with a marketing rep to produce the article for us. So, and the article was a, a freight broker success guide. It's, if you go to DAT.com, it's under the resources tab at the top and it's under their guide section. It's called freight broker success guide. It's really, really good. And it goes over the basics of, um, you know, what is a broker, how to become a freight broker, some of the requirements, and then it gets into, um, you know, how to develop customer and carry relationships. And it, it's, it's, just, it's a good read, whether you're licensed and have your own company, if you're a independent contracted agency owner, or if you're a W2 working for a larger firm that, you know, you just want to learn a little bit more about the industry. So mm. check that out at DAT.com. And hey, a quick side note to Dean's quote, it reminded me of the one from Warren Buffett, be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful, okay. right? <laughs> yeah. Didn't he also say that you... Um, you know who is skinny dipping when the tide goes out? That's a good one, though. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, like, you know, protect yeah. yourself. Um, and actually, that's a it's a good point. This next question is about, this is a 1099 agent asking, um, I'm setting up as an independent freight agent. The company I'm working for doesn't require me to have an FMCSA license or a surety bond, but I'm scared I will be responsible for my customer's non-payment. Is there an alternative insurance that will cover that? So, yes, as a as an agent, you don't need to be licensed, bonded. Um, you don't have to carry any insurance. You just, you're essentially a, you're an independent contractor. You're working under their authority as a sales agent. Um, as far as non-payment, most reputable agent-based brokerages 
will not hold you liable for customer non-payment as long as you have your rates in writing and they approved a credit line for you. Um, I will tell you that there, yes, there are, it, there's receivable insurance companies out there such as Euler. I think it's Euler Hermes is the full name. Uh, QBE is another one. They offer a, you pay a premium and they will, they will uh, insure a certain amount of credit for you. Now, um, you're paying for the service and it's going to reduce your risk. And in return, they're going to be less risky with extending credit. So it's, if you don't have an edge for risk when it comes to bringing on new customers or new shippers, um, you know, they're probably not the best option for you. Actually, the company that I work for now, we used to use a company like that and we dropped them because it wasn't, it didn't fully align with our risk tolerance. And we've, been more profitable without having them than with using them. So it wasn't, it wasn't worth the, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze, I guess you could say. So, but yes, those companies exist. Um, the last question, and I hear this a lot is um, what do I do when my non-compete is up? So we've seen, we've talked about non-competes, whether you agree with them, disagree with them, who cares? We're not talking about that right now. What do you do when it's up? So whether it's six months, 12 months, 18 months, two years, whatever, how do you get yourself back in the saddle as a broker? Uh, ben, you actually, you and I both worked for companies and both had non-competes. So I can tell you yeah. what I did, but Ben, what would you, what would you tell somebody if they, if you're coaching someone who's like, Hey, got out of my one year non-compete, what should I do? Well, the first question I'm going to ask them is what is it that you want to do and what are you trying to achieve? Because that's a, that's a good starting point. <laughs> your answer to that question is going to determine likely which direction we would guide you. I mean, if your goal is, hey, I want to be able to get back into brokering and retain more of the dollars I earn, but I don't want to build out a company, agency model. If you're having the ambitions of wanting to get back into brokering to one day be the CEO and own a company, Probably the same start, but maybe with a little left turn after you got your book back in order and then went off on your own. Um, yeah. Likely one of those two. I mean. So the way I, I, I guess I looked at the question a little bit differently. I assume that they're out of their not compete and they've already found a new home, right? They're going to go be an employee somewhere, be an agent somewhere, start their brokerage, whatever. My advice is to not just assume that every one of your old customers is going to still be a customer. You've got to, oh, you've got to, yeah. you've got to have some expectation management. So my first, my first thing would be to assume that you're back in day one and prospecting mode, but you should also take time to reach out to those old relationships that you had and reestablish them. Let them know exactly what you're doing now, what your plan is, what you can offer them and just rebuild those relationships. I think you're going to have a better, um, you know, more fruitful relationship from a prior customer of yours that you had a good rapport with than, you know, the cold calling, you're going to land one or two out of a hundred. So um, it's an interesting question. Um, I, I will say too, that a lot of people have, they make those phone calls while they're still in their non-compete. So mm -hmm. it kind of helps out. Dean, what do you got? You, I saw no, you, you wanted I'd, to hop um, in. My advice would be make sure you're very respectful to your former employer um, because any criticism of them reflects more on you than it does on them. So always be respectful of um, your work, regardless of yeah. how frustrated you may be and on what terms you left, always be respectful. Absolutely. And I think uh, one of the big things, when someone leaves a company, it's not always on bad terms, but right. that doesn't change the fact that if you have an employment contract, right, you have to abide by it and be respectful. So, um, and we, 
I think I'm trying to think if we had talked with someone about this in the past, but I I've always been a, a you know an advocate of if you're gonna leave you know don't go poach your old cost. Don't go poach old customers that you know you shouldn't touch. What's legal isn't always ethical. Um, and like you said, have the respect to at least ha- have a conversation with the old employer and maybe give them a heads up on what you're going to do. And yep. it's better to at least know that, hey, they're they're good with me doing what I'm doing as long as I'm not going to be bashing their name and poaching right. left and right. So exactly. that's good. It's good. I like that. Well, uh, great episode. Dean Croke, Principal Analyst at DAT Freight and Analytics. Super, super awesome and honored to have you on the show here. Looking forward to getting to chat with you again, hopefully yep. later this year. So, Thanks for having me. Been yeah, fun. absolutely. Um, around the horn, any final thoughts? Dean, you have any any closing remarks or any last minute thoughts here? Go Bucks. <laughs> oh, Brady. Oh. oh, wow. So I actually close out every episode by saying go Bills, but go Bucks. I dig it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> right on, yep. Right ben, on. Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And I'm gonna change mine up this time. <laughs> on on Sunday, go Bucks. <laughs> and next year, go Bells. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any articles and content that we referenced on this episode. Visit us on the web at www.freight360.net. And if you'd like to learn more about a new home for your agency, contact me directly. And if you'd like to learn more about me coming out to run a free complimentary sales training for your team, check me out on LinkedIn or again at www.freight360.net.